0: night? I mean, come on. We're going to talk about focus this morning. Have you ever been out of focus? You ever had problems focusing? And I found this as I got older. Um, I found out that even though I have fairly long arms, my arms aren't long enough. That what I used to be able to read up here, now I'm like Honey, can you hold that? And uh, you start getting large print. This, you start getting all of that. You start getting out of focus. But there's there's two times in my life that I I recall very clearly of being out of focus, and maybe you can maybe you can relate. Uh, I was a teenager, and we were camping, and uh, I was uh, being me, hyperactive me, going through the the trees and. Uh, my dad was in front of me, and I was following too close, and he let a uh, branch come back and whack, and I caught a, a pine needle in the face. It hit right below my eye, and, and I thought, wow, you know, my eye started watering, and it's out of focus, and, and unfortunately, it just kept getting worse and worse, and by the time we got back, my eye is just it's hurting. I can barely open it. And you know how that is when you get something in your eye. You're blinking all the time, and you've got tears going, and pretty soon you got snot flowing, and it's just it's uncomfortable. And by the time I got back to camp, my eye is all swollen up, and I can barely even see. And, um, and having good parents, they didn't rush me to the hospital. Two days later, when it was still just as swollen and getting all crusty and stuff, they finally take me in to the doctor. And uh, it was pollen season, and a bunch of the pollen off of that branch had lodged in my eye. And my body was just going after it. Years later, uh, I was having some some medical issues, and I didn't know what was going on. And this one was a little scary. I'm driving down the road and uh, uh, going to a, a store. And I remember very clearly, I looked up and saw the speed limit sign, and and when I saw the speed limit sign, I wanted to make sure I, I, I try not to speed. I can't say that I don't always speed, but I was trying not to speed. And I looked down to make sure I wasn't speeding, and I couldn't see the numbers on the dash. It was just like a haze. And I thought, what in the world? You know, Maybe I'm tired and I'm rubbing my eyes while I'm trying to drive, and, and it didn't get much better. And I, could, I knew that I wasn't blind. I mean, I could see the, the stop signs. I could see all that stuff. But everything within about two feet, three feet was just. And I got worried because I'm thinking, this is Saturday and Sunday, you ought to preach. <laughs> and I got home and I realized I couldn't see the words on the page. And it was kind of disconcerting. And it's, in some of you, you, maybe you've had that happen, but if we back that up a little bit, sometimes that happens in our spiritual lives, it gets hard to see. Maybe you can see the, the big things way out there, but sometimes the stuff that's right here in front of you just really gets hazy. And it feels like you just can't focus. It feels like you, you, you don't know what to do, and it gets a little worrisome, and, and, and is this going to be permanent? Is this going to be forever? Is this going to be... And, and really, what, what we need to do is learn how to refocus. Not only spiritually but in our lives, because our lives, by our human nature, we tend to get off track. We tend to get off focus. We tend to chase rabbits. We tend to take paths that we didn't mean to get away from the things of God or or to mess up our marriage, but we take paths. We take routes that lead us there anyway, and then we get there, and we're not sure what to do. And the Bible says that there's a way to, to fix these things, but it means that we have to learn how to refocus. So I want to share two separate stories with you this morning, and I'll prep the, the scene here. So God has made a promise to His people. He's, He's pulled them out of bondage and slavery for 400 years. He's promised them, and this is a direct quote, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds great, doesn't it? And that's that's a very different thing, Uh, things that men don't have to produce. You don't have to produce honey, it's provided for you. You don't have to produce milk, it's provided for you. You just have to go and get it, and that's what God's saying. I've given you this great land, it's flowing, it's fertile, it's ready for you. You just have to go and get it, okay? Now, anybody that's ever spent time on a farm, you think, oh yeah, we just go get milk. Not always as easy as it seems, Cows aren't always cooperative, and there is some work. If you've ever tried to harvest honey, bees aren't the friendliest things on the planet either, right? And you have to go and harvest it. They don't just come, and, and for those of you that have weak stomachs, I'm just preparing you advance. Wouldn't it be nice if you just trained the bees to go suck the pollen and the nectar, and then come and regurgitate it into a little jar for you like they do into the honeycomb, and then you don't have to go and collect it, but they don't. So you have to invade their home to get that great, sweet, sticky sustenance that we love, that sweetness. And so he's like, I've prepared all this for you. It's going to be incredible. Just go get it. So you with me? So Moses does what he's supposed to do. He picks a bunch of men, some robust, adventurous men who wants to go on a quest Yes, me, me, I want to go on a course. Let's go get what God's planned for us. And he sends them into the land to spy it out. And they come back with like grapes the size of basketballs. <laughs> and they see an incredible amount of fruit. This is just a, a truly a land that's producing and producing. But when they come back to give the report to the rest of Israel, we find out that they were out of focus. Now, he sent 12 men out, and if you've known the story, 10 came back with a bad report, and only two had a good report, but they all saw the same thing. I want you to remember that. They all went to the same land. They all saw the same thing, but for some of us, again, not just men this morning, it's all of us, sometimes we can all see the same thing, but what you see is very different than what I see. And we have to learn to refocus. So if you'll pick up with me, we're going to be in Numbers 13 should be on the screen. We're going to start with verse 27. They come back to report to Moses. This is their report to Moses. Now follow this with me. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a what? a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they show it. You've got to remember, they're showing. This isn't a, a reading passage. They're actually, and they're holding stuff up saying, and here's the kind of fruit it produces. Now, if you're wondering what that means, go back and read it. They actually cut some grapes off and the, that the vine was so big they had to carry it between two men. Think about that for just a minute. That's some serious grapes. So we've got, you know, The scholars speculate that they were huge grapes, that's why they carried. Even if they were normal-sized grapes, the abundance of that vine that they cut off was, was more than one man could carry. Abundance. It has bountiful fruit. Now, I wish that the report stopped there, but it doesn't stop there. They all agreed that... God had prepared it, that there was bountiful stuff there for him, and God shows us what kind of fruit is there. Verse 28, here we go, but, you ever met but people? Man, you wouldn't believe how this and this, man, it's, a, it's incredible, but, and then they basically undo everything they just told you? Here we go. It is incredible the kind of fruit that's being produced there, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, who was a a famed man of incredible stature. And, And what's funny is Anak means long neck. These are, I don't know if these guys look like giraffes or what, but these are tall dudes, Yep. Right? The descendants of Anak are there. The Amalekites live there in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all the other ites live in the hill country. Notice what they saw. We saw the bountiful fruit, but there's giants, there's Amalekites, all these people that were the enemies of the Israelites. Now, God didn't mess up, did He? Did God know all those people were there? Did He know there was large and fortified towns there? You see how, unforg- how, how forgetful these people were? God had just rescued these people from 400 years under one of the most powerful, dominant cultures of the known world at that time, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He had just done incredible, mighty works to show them how He delivers them, and yet, here they are. Oh, there's tall people with big towns. And remember, they already said, we've seen incredible fruit. There's no denying that. But that's not what we focused on. We focused on the big people in the big towns. Look what they say. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. It just seems like everybody we hate, everybody is there that we're going to have to fight with. Why can't God just let us walk in and have this place? Maybe you've asked that before, too. God, why can't this just get easier? And I've searched the Scriptures, and you know what's funny? Never once does God say, go in. I've made it easy. You won't even have to do anything. You just have to walk in. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture, and that's what's hard with our American dream of I should just be able to have abundance and be prolific and provide, and it should get easier and easier, right? Can I tell you that's not scriptural? Everywhere you look in Scripture, they had to work and pray and march and obey and fight for the things that God had given you. And so if these are the God's people, the ones He's called His own, had to push the invaders out, had to push the giants out, guess what you may have to do in your life? You may have to work for what God has provided for you. You may have to deal with the fact that you don't feel up to the task, and there's giants around you, but the land is still plentiful. There's lots of fruit for you to get. Let's move on to the next one. Verse 30, So, check this out. He sends out 12. Well, two of the 12 is Joshua and Caleb. They were younger men. And Caleb, Caleb isn't spoken of a lot in the Scripture, but when it does, he's a go-getter. He's a guy that says, God said it, let's go get it. He's a guy that when he's old, after they've been fighting all these battles, and they're dividing up the land... And they've kicked out a bunch of people. They haven't kicked them all out. But he remembers this. He remembers that there's still enemies there. And they say, Caleb, where do you want? He's like, I want the mountains. And they're like, well, don't you know that the the enemies live there? Yep, but you should see the view. You see, there was something in Caleb. There was something in Joshua that they saw the same thing that everybody else saw. But they focused on the fruit. They didn't focus on the giants and the fortified towns. Now, here we go. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Look what he says. And people are getting all right. Up. Giants, everybody's forgotten about the fruit. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. They're showing everybody, here's the produce of that land. And everybody's probably going, oh, man, that is awesome. Yes, that's, that's the provision of God. And then the next thing, all they hear is giants and they've forgotten all about the fruit. And they're thinking, well, we can't go in there. What are we going to do about these fortified towns? How are we supposed to face giants and the Amalekites and the Jebusites? And they're they're just pouring all over this place. What are we supposed to do? And look at poor Caleb. Look what he says. Let's just go. (laughs) Let's go take the land. We can certainly conquer it. See his attitude? God said that's for us. God said go, so you know what we're going to do? Let's go right now. Quit talking about this. Quit worrying about giants. Let's go in. We can certainly conquer it. You ever heard the verse that says, if God be for us, who can stand against us? That's Caleb. (laughs) Caleb sees right past the difficulties. Caleb sees past the, the large towns and the people. He's like, I just see what God said we can have. Let's go get it. Now, something's happened. There there was a time in America where we had a pioneering spirit. Let's go get it. Let's go explore it. Let's go conquer it. And it seems that we've doled that down to, let's take it easy. How much risk is there? What's it going to cost me? And can I tell you that's the wrong attitude? With big risk comes big reward when it's in God's hands. He has promised us. The history has promised us an eternity, but if you think you just get to sit around and take it easy, you're going to have to fight for your faith, you're going to have to fight for your family, you're going to have to learn some warfare, you're going to have to learn how to pray, and yes, the fruit is still just as bountiful, but usually that big fruit is defended. (laughs) There's going to be things that stand in your way, so I'm just telling you in advance, if you think it's going to get easier as you get older, think again. It may get harder that God is just as faithful, and the fruit is just as good. But it's not always easy. God never wanted it to be easy. You think raising little kids is hard? Wait till they're teenagers. Then you get them out of the house, and you think, man, we made it through the teenage years, and then they turn 30. And a whole different set of problems comes up. (laughs) It doesn't get any easier, it just gets different. He says, let's just go and conquer this land. Now look at what happened. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. Now let's wait a minute. Who told them to go in? Isn't that amazing? They'd been obedient this time. God says it, we're going to do it. God says it, we're going to do it. God says it, we're going to do it. God says it, I disagree. And if there's any harsh part of this message, this is it. You don't have the option and the luxury of when God says to make it an option. Now, you do have free will, but that means that you give up the fruit. And that means that you still fight, and it's still hard, but you've abandoned your fruit. You think backing down or not going in is going to change what He's planned for you and change what He wants for you? Not at all. His plan is finite. He knows what He's given to us. He knows what He wants you to have. He knows the fruit that He wants from our lives. But we don't get to have the option of the luxury, and that's part of our issues today is we think we can take the commands of God and make them options. There is no A, B, C, or D. There's either obey or disobey and they both have consequences. They both have fruit, big bountiful fruit, or the kind of fruit that tastes bitter in your mouth. You do get to decide, but I'm telling you, if you want to be a Christian today, you want to be a Christ follower, there's always going to be places He's going to tell you to go that's not easy, and you've got a choice, either obey or disobey. There's no other option. There's not a plan A, B, C, D. There's obey or disobey. Don't let that type of worldly thinking, creep in. that I've got these options. It's not two-day shipping, regular shipping. There's go in now and take it, or don't. And from somebody that's been hard-headed, and I haven't always been obedient, I beg you, I plead with you, don't forfeit the fruit because of the fight. Don't forfeit your fruit because of the fight. You may never Get that chance again. You may never have that window again. You may never have the opportunity again. There may be a fight and it may be frightening, but don't give up the fruit because of the fight. It's worth it. It's too easy to say my marriage is difficult and give up because of the fight. It's too easy to turn your kids loose because of the fight. It's too easy to lose your job because of the fight. It's too easy any day to turn our backs on everything, and you give up the fruit because of the fight. I'm telling you, God has made us for the fight. We can conquer it. Whatever it is, whatever He's put before us, He's given us the ability. How do we know? How do I know? Because He's going before us. He's already paved the way, and it doesn't mean there won't be a fight, but sometimes he surprises us. Sometimes he says, you're going to go out and get yourself ready and prepared to fight, and then you stand and watch me fight for you. But you still have to get ready, and you still have to be willing to fight, and we don't know at when times when God's going to say, you just watch, I got this, and see how great I am, or when he says, I'm still with you, but you still got to push Him out. We don't know until we prepare ourselves. So they say, We can't go against them. Total reversal. Caleb's like, Let's go. We can do this. They're like, Nope, we can't. Why? They're stronger than we are. How do they know? They haven't fought any of them. See how their mind is working already? Verse 32 So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites not Caleb and Joshua. Here's the report that they spread. The land that we traveled through and explored, look look at no speaking of fruit now, right? You notice this? They all gave the report of great fruit. Here's the fruit. But now they're not talking about fruit. What are they saying? We went and explored this land, and this land will devour anybody that lives there. Amazing. Where's the milk and the honey? All the people we saw were huge, We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And here's the key. You better get this. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And and I can understand that. But here's the part where a lie kicks in. This is just a flat-out lie. And that's what they thought about us, too. How do they know what the inhabitants thought about them? Why I can tell you a lie is not very long from now, Joshua is going to mature and follow Moses, and they're going to attack a heavily fortified city called Jericho. And everybody inside of Jericho had heard of the triumph of the people of Israel, and all of them were frightened. That's why they locked up the doors and stayed inside, hoping they would just move along. They were terrified of these people that had conquered Egypt and seen the God of Israel do mighty works. They had heard the exploits of Israel, and yet here's these men that had lived through this that said, we can't do it. And... And we look like grasshoppers to them. Can I tell you, this is the cunning ploy of the enemy and our own fragile flesh that tells you that you're not capable of doing it? That you possibly might fail, that I can't possibly go up, I I can't get this, I can't get there, I can't be this, I can't be that. That's not what God says about you. God's got a whole different set of plans than failure for us. But you can't forfeit it. But notice how quickly that changed of talking about how big the fruit is to now there's no mention of fruit. It's only problems. All we saw was problems. Big people, big problems. And in fact, we were like grasshoppers. Not, we felt like grasshoppers and they thought of us like grasshoppers. Modern day application before we move on. Don't buy the lie of your flesh and the world that says that our message about God is outdated or that people don't need it. We have been created by God to be leaders and people that have a testimony of a mighty God in lives that have been changed and the world needs to hear that. The world is dying, literally, to hear that. And if you think we're like grasshoppers, they don't wanna hear this, it's a whole different world. We're postmodern Christians they still need to hear there's a God who changes lives and saves them out of their mess. No matter how you feel about it, there's still land out there flowing with milk and honey that He says, go and get it. We can't. We can't possibly do that. We can't possibly evangelize today. We can't possibly make a difference today because 10% of the population out there doesn't agree with us. Do you realize that most of America still has conservative religious values, whether they state them or not? We're being held hostage by a measly 10% that are vocal and use political power. What has happened to us? You know what's happened? We've become the 10 instead of the 2. We've got the biggest harvest field we've seen ever. Ever. In America. Think about that for just a minute. Get your eyes off the problem and the fight. I see all the statistics that America's less Christian than we've ever been. You can't spit without hitting somebody that needs Christianity. We are in a target-rich environment, folks. Especially in the Pacific Northwest that people love coffee more than God. The need has never been greater. The bountiful harvest has never been bigger. And we're saying, we can't. We can't do that. Don't you know there's liberal rights, there's the ACLU, there's government, there's politics, and they might take away our our tax status. Oh, what are we going to do if only God was bigger than the IRS? Isn't it amazing that God has kept the IRS? Some of you would debate that. He never said it was going to get easier. He just said the fruit's still the same. That fruit that he's talking about in numbers is the same fruit that's out there. There's a huge amount of fruit that we still have to go in to collect. The laborers are few, but the harvest is ripe. Pray for harvesters, right? Don't pray for it to be easier. Pray for harvesters. Maybe you're a harvester. Harvest where you're at. You don't have to harvest someplace else. Harvest where you're at. See the fruit. We get focused on the fight instead. It's amazing how their eyesight changed between incredible fruit, everybody's happy, let's show what God has provided to all we see as Giants. And we're going to fast forward a few hundred years to the book of 2 Kings and know that if you're struggling with this, don't feel condemned this morning. Don't even feel guilty because guilt will lead you in the wrong direction. Feel convicted. (laughs) Say, God has made me. I've got a purpose. I've been empowered. I don't have to feel guilty. I just have to refocus. So I challenge you to refocus. Here's a man of God and his servant that's being hunted down by an army. The man's name is Elisha. And he's hated by this king, and they've been trying to track him down, and they can't track him down. And finally somebody says, I'm pretty sure he's in Dothan. And the king sends an army. We're going to surround him. We're going to take him by force and bring him back. And you know why they were hunting him? Because Elisha had the misfortune of speaking the truth to kings that didn't want to hear truth. They didn't like hearing God's word. So they decide they're going to go, and here's where they're at. One night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Look at this, verse 15. But when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, got up early the next morning, and he goes outside, look what he sees. Troops, horses, chariots everywhere. He couldn't miss it. He walks out rubbing at his eyes thinking, Elijah's always got us out of this. And all of a sudden... He's surrounded. It's a wall of chariots and horses and troops. And look what he says. Sir, what are we going to do now? Now, I wish I could back this up for you, because it wasn't that far ago that some, a captain had come to Elisha and wanted to take him in. And every time he disrespected him, fire came from heaven and killed him. And then they sent more men, and fire came from heaven and killed them. And they sent some more men, and fire came from heaven and killed them. And this servant had been with Elijah. It's like Elijah didn't have to twitch a pinky. And God had provided for him left and right and made sure they were protected. And yet, now, he sees the abundance of troops and the abundance of horses, and he says, what are we going to do now? And Elisha says, I don't know. We better figure this out. We better call in an airstrike. We better, we better find a way to disguise ourselves. We better figure out how to tunnel out of here. Look at verse 16. Great advice for us in these days, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Why? For there are more on our side than on theirs. If you want to be afraid, be afraid for them. You want to be worried, be worried about what's going to happen to them. And again, the young man probably didn't understand. We don't hear all the dialogue, but I can imagine in my imagination what's going on. What are you talking about? It's just you and me. And if it gets bad, it's just you. They don't want me. They're not after Gehazi. They're after Elisha. But notice the calmness. Elisha steps out and goes... Don't worry about it. Got it covered. There's more for us than against us. And he does something unusual. Something I want to pray with you about this morning. Elisha prayed. He said, first of all, don't be afraid. And then he states the benefits and the protection of God. And then he prays. Look what he says. Lord, open his eyes and let him see. He needed to see what Elisha could see. And I pray that you would see what the Scripture says. I pray that you would see what I see. I pray that you would see what God sees. Look what he says. Open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And again, I don't know if if he just let him see into the spirit world. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't matter. But look at what happened now. And now he looks, and where did he look? I want you to get this this morning. He didn't look around. He looked around the first time and saw nothing but chariots and horses. Where did he look this time? Can I tell you as a good pastor, sometimes you've got to stop looking around and start looking up. Around isn't, your, isn't the fix. Around is the problem. You've got to set your sights a little higher. You got to look up. You got to look up. Look what he says. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled, right? Filled with horses and chariots of fire. Don't worry, son. There's more for us. I'm worried about these poor, stupid soldiers, what the horses and chariots of God are going to do to them. You don't have to worry about me. So I want to ask a few questions as we wrap this up this morning. Do you have focus issues? Are you focusing only on the problem? Have you ever prayed, Lord, open our eyes and let us see? Here's a big one. You don't see yourself as the solution. Notice, Elisha had a problem, and Elisha prayed, and Elisha trusted God. He didn't have to pull out his smartphone and call for reinforcements. He didn't need to call a mentor pastor. He didn't have to seek out Google to find out what to do when you're surrounded by an army. You know what he did? He saw himself as the solution. I'm going to believe, I'm going to pray, God will get us out of this. And it's this a big deal in today's world. Many people today never see themselves as the solution to the problem. They never see themselves as a solution to the fit in their church, to the fit in their marriage, to the situation that could be handled. They never see themselves as a solution. They're waiting for somebody to come help them, somebody to fix this. Can I tell you, you've got the Lord God Almighty on the inside of you. You've got all the power, strength, and resources you need. But if you don't believe it, if you feel like you're surrounded, you feel like there's nothing you can do, then again, you can be around all that stuff, just like his servant was, and still, all you see is the problem. Can I tell you? He who began a good work in you will complete it. He started something in you. He has empowered you. Acts tells us that He's empowered you. We are powerful sent people. But it doesn't matter if I tell you. What matters is your focus. Are you going to keep looking over your shoulder at who you used to be, where you used to go, how you used to bend? Are you going to see what God sees? Do you just see the, the strength of man, or do you want to see the deliverance of God? You've got to look up. See yourself as the solution. Do you not see that there's more for you than against you? Got to refocus. Do you see only the giants and not the fruit? Have, was there a time when you used to see the incredible abundance of God, but now all you see is giants? You used to feel such freedom. You used to feel such spiritual infilling, but now all you see is giants and big walls and barriers, fortified cities against you. You need to refocus. Do you see yourself as a grasshopper in your situation? Right now, do you see yourself as a grasshopper. I'm powerless. I can't do anything. I'm small and weak. Do you see yourself as a grasshopper this morning? You need to refocus. Here's the last one. Have giants and the things of man blocked your view of God? We still serve the God of the impossible. We still serve the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We still serve a God that said He will deliver us and redeem us and He will lead us out at every twist and turn and He never lies and that doesn't mean there's no problems. We just have to look up Stop looking to the government. Even stop looking to the church. You need to look to God. We're here to equip each other and empower each other. But I am not God. I am not your Savior. I am just a Christian man with a calling. And I'm telling you, you got to look back to God. You get back to God and your marriage will fix. You get back to God and your finances will light up. You look back to God and He'll tell you who you are spiritually, physically, sexually. You don't have to look around. You need to look up. Stop seeing yourself as a grasshopper. Stop seeing all these giants. God is bigger than the giants, but the enemy wants to push him in close, and I can't see beyond it. It's kind of that, I can't see the forest for the trees. If you keep stopping every time there's a problem, the devil's got you. I've been there. You don't be 20 plus years in ministry three kids and know that sometimes Sundays are a day from hell. Sick kids, disobedient kids, willful kids. I can't find my shoes, or oh, I had my shoes on, now one's gone by the time you get to church. Walking in the parking lot and your kid throws up on you. And Late night, early morning. Now I've said it before, whoever wrote that song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, never did ministry with kids. But you know what? I never got told when I got saved that it was supposed to be easy. I realized it was a mission. I realized there was going to be some things to push. And some things are going to push back to make me stronger. Not to kill me, but to fortify my faith. Church, I want you to know I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on the vision that I have for this church or for our community. Because you may look around and see the history of our church and the history of our town. But I look and I see a church full of powerful people. I look and I see people that are gifted and fruitful that can make a difference. I look and I see people that although you may not be there yet, God is going to have you look up to him. And you got to stop following pastors and you got to stop following movements and start following God and trust Him to be your deliverer and your strength, your very great reward. Because no matter how much I tell you, I can't make you not see yourself as a grasshopper. All I can do is say, it's time to refocus. Take your eyes off of that and put a little higher. What do you see for your future? Is it just going down, down, down? (laughs) What do you see for your marriage? Is it getting better or getting worse? What do you see for your kids? Better or worse? What do you see for the world? That's a tricky one. But let's remember what God sees for the world, an incredible harvest. He didn't say, oh look, the fields are black with sin and it's getting worse so the fields are white and ready to be reaped and he needs people like you and me to refocus and get our mind off the giant problems get our mind off the things of man feeling like we're surrounded and outnumbered and we need to open our eyes to see the goodness of God all over again it's not your power it's his power It's not in your time, it's in his time. We're just called to be faithful and to step out and to proclaim those things. I've got kids that aren't where I want them to be, but I see them there through the grace of God. I see my grandbabies growing up in a good church, following God, loving the Lord. I see a church that isn't getting Worse and weaker, I see a church that wants to get better and bigger. and Maybe you don't see that yet, and that's okay. But I'll tell you, that's what I see. That's why I'm here. I didn't come and see debt and a big building. Those could be huge giants. But I see the potential for fruit, church. I see a town that needs us. I see a town that needs serious Christians that believe God's word and live by God's word, and we'll see fruit. Will there be fights? You bet. But don't you dare forfeit that fruit for the fight.